Today on Points for Trying, we're talking about vacuum trains. It's about time. These trains are filthy. Hey everyone, welcome back to Points for Trying. I'm Brandon. And I'm Jessica. And together we celebrate ideas and inventions that were unsuccessful, forgotten, or just plain weird. So Jessica, have you ever heard of the Hyperloop? I have not. Well, it was proposed by Elon Musk in 2013 as a method of really, really fast travel between cities. So let me try to explain it. Imagine a train, but it's floating on magnets. Now put that in a tunnel and then suck all the air out of the tunnel. Well, I've heard of the magnetically levitated trains, the maglevs, but making the tunnel a vacuum is something that I have not heard. Right, so the big advantage of here is it's basically got no friction between the train and the ground because it's floating, and it's got basically no air resistance because it's inside of a vacuum, which means it can go crazy fast. We're talking like travel between San Francisco and L.A. in half an hour. That would be amazing, and everybody stuck on the I-5 as they listen to this would love that. Well, what if I told you that this idea is over 100 years old? Are you saying that Elon Musk is over 100 years old? Because I want whatever skin regime he's got going on. <laughs> in the late 1800s, New York City was dirty, noisy, and so crowded that getting anywhere was a huge pain in the ass. I'm just guessing because that's my experience of present-day New York. <laughs> but back then... Inventor Alfred Beach had his own idea to make New York a little less terrible. He was going to give everybody a free bagel every day. The idea was underground trains propelled not by steam or electricity, but by air. Each car fit tightly inside the tunnel like a piston, and a huge fan would blow air behind it and push it through to the next station. To go in the other direction, the fan would be switched from blow to suck, and the resulting vacuum would pull the car back. In 1870, Beach revealed his proof of concept, the Beach Pneumatic Transit System. This might sound a little familiar, and yes, it was basically the pneumatic tube delivery system we talked about in Episode 3, but scaled up for people. Which, if you remember to Episode 3, they did try to do that with humans. Yeah, somebody put their kid inside of one of the tubes. But this would have been, you know, big enough to stand up in. It would have seats. Where are you trying to say this would be big enough to put all your kids in at once? Well, depending on how many kids you have, yeah. <laughs> As you can see by the inside of the car, it's pretty decked out with, like, upholstery and, like, actual lamps. And top hats. And top hats. I like it. But it really is the same principle as those pneumatic tubes that you use at the bank. You know, in one direction, air would get pumped into the tunnel and, and push you. And then they would basically use the same fan, but they would open up and close some louvers so that instead of pushing air into the tunnel, it was pulling air out of the tunnel and it would basically just suck you right back. Did you mean levers? You said louvers. No, louvers. So if you have central heating in your house uh, and you can like open up and close the grates, those little flaps are called louvers. Oh, Jessica learned a new word. <laughs> Today on Points for Trying, Jessica learns vocabulary. The word of the day, louvers. 
I didn't know that. The Beach Pneumatic Transit probably holds the record for the world's smallest subway system, with a grand total of one station. Riders could pay 25 cents, almost $6 today, to literally go around the block on Broadway Street and then come right back. It shut down in 1873, and the subway that New Yorkers love to hate opened in 1904. Okay, so the subway system in New York is... A disaster, yes. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's obviously fans and everything that are blowing in the subway system in New York, right? Because that's how you keep oxygen flowing. I don't, I don't know. Would that make it more or less clean if they'd have done the vacuum with the fans? Yeah, that's a good point. It would kind of by nature have to cycle air through the system. Hmm. I think a big benefit for a system like this back then was that trains of that era were often powered by steam. So yeah, something powered by air would be a lot cleaner than something that had to burn coal underground. Anything is cleaner than burning coal under... Well, okay, not everything, but a lot of things are cleaner than burning coal underground. Burning something else underground, burning coal above the ground, like most things are cleaner than that. Exactly. Yeah, so... If this were scaled up to multiple stations, it would probably, just the way that it works, cycle air and push air through the stations themselves. So it would probably get quite a bit of ventilation. But everybody's in a closed-off environment, so this is not going to help me dry my hair, nor is it going to mess my hair up if it's already dried and done, correct? No, the, the people in the tube are pretty well sealed off, so you probably wouldn't want to stay in any train car for all that long. Okay. Because otherwise you're going to run out of air. Listen, don't mess up my hair, and we're fine. <laughs> I want to look at one of the ads that was passed around during the day to advertise this system. It's a pretty standard newspaper page from the day, but in the bottom it says, After reading, show this to your friends. And I'm wondering if that's the first recorded instance of, Like, share, and subscribe! <laughs> I bet you won't copy and paste this onto your wall. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, it looks like Alfred Beach has a world record, the world's shortest subway system. I want to come for his crown, and I've got an idea. How short is the subway system? It was literally only one stop, and it literally started on Warren Street, rounded the corner, and then just came back. I've seen some subterranean transportation methods in some pretty small cities that essentially are one stop. So that's why I'm like, oh, well, yeah, one stop's not that big of a deal for me. But what's the distance if it was just around the corner and back? Okay, I got that. That's actually a small stop. Jess, I'm not sure you're, uh, it's literally one station. Like you can't go anywhere else. Like there was no second stop. It's not like you can only go from one place to the other. You literally have to leave out of the same station that you came in. Oh! <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> no, I was legit being like, yeah, just one other station. No, one station. One stop means you get in at Warren Street. And you get out at Warren Street. Yeah. It's more like a <laughs> Disneyland ride then. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This was a proof of concept and there were plans to build it out more. And actually, to bring it back to the pneumatic tubes we talked about earlier, Mr. Beach actually got permission to build this part of the system by falsely claiming that it was going to be a vacuum tube mail delivery system. And then he just built a giant tunnel instead. 
Oh, wow. That really does <laughs> harken back to episode three. Right? But back to beating his world record. I want to make a zero-stop system. Okay, how? So in his passengers could get on at the station and then ride to the end and come back. I think a zero-stop system where you don't even get to ride the train. You just go into the station and you watch the train pass you by. <laughs> Oh, so you get to... Zero stops. All you can do is see a train. <laughs> you know, that's always my, my fear when I'm running late to the metro and I look like, oh, am I going to make it? Am I going to make it in time? I'm only parking the car and I've got three minutes to spare. Can I get in? No. The answer is usually no. Well, we are going to take a short break to hear from our sponsors. But afterwards, we will talk about another vacuum train. Today's episode of Points for Tryin' is brought to you by Mystical Movie Trains, Incorporated. Is your main character leaving their familiar surroundings for an exciting adventure? Have them travel there on a Mystical Movie Train. Whether their destination is Hogwarts, the capital of Pan Am, or Wilmington, Delaware, they can ride in style. And time on the train isn't wasted. Your characters will have ample opportunity to talk about the movie's theme and foreshadow events in the second act. If they're in an action movie, they can even get into a fight on the roof. Use offer code SNOWPIERCER and get a free exterior shot of the train crossing the countryside. Mystical Movie Trains. It's not the destination, it's the journey. If you've ever heard the name Robert Goddard, it's probably because of his pioneering work in rocketry. Everything is space. Yes, if you've ever driven around the Beltway in Washington, D.C., yes, Goddard Space Flight Center, that's this Goddard. But today, we'll be talking about one of his lesser-known ideas, the vacuum train. In 1904, while a freshman at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, he wrote a short story called The High Speed Bet. In it, he envisioned how people would be traveling in the far-off future of 1950. Just as a side note, in my freshman year at Worcester Polytechnic Institute, I accomplished far less than he did. So kudos to Robert Goddard right there. The story explains two things, why most engineers don't become novelists, and how his high-speed train idea would work. A train would run inside of a steel vacuum tunnel with electromagnets holding the train up and propelling it down the track. In the story, passengers travel between New York and Boston in only 10 minutes. In 1950s terms, that's enough time to sing Rock Around the Clock five times or smoke two cigarettes. And you probably could smoke on a train back then. You absolutely could smoke on a train. The high-speed bet, it actually is kind of a fun story. It's one of those old-timey sci-fi stories where the basic plot is, let me show you around this place and explain to you how everything works. And it's kind of fun. And if you'd like to listen to it, I did record a special episode of me narrating the high-speed bet in its entirety. I am here for it. <laughs> hey, so Brandon, how about you talk to us about his version of sealing up the car? So to get people in and out of the train without the tunnel itself filling up with air, they would actually clamp the train to the side of the tunnel and then run electricity through it so that it got soldered to the side of the tunnel, and only then would they open up the door. 
And then when it's time to like push off and actually move the train, they run the electricity through it again and like unstick the train. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I am not an engineer. However, I have soldered electrical components in my life. And I got to tell you, there's only so many times that you can solder and unsolder something before you just have to say to heck with it and start fresh with new wires. So this feels like there was a short lifespan for this before you had to say to heck with it and throw it all out. Yeah, I think at the bare minimum, you'd have to replace the solder every now and then. Because the way he describes it is like there's a little bit of solder running around the door. And I'm not an expert in, in soldering or material, so I don't know if this is true. But he says that since the train is colder than the tunnel, that the solder would stick to the colder metal and it would stay attached to the train. I don't think I've soldered enough to have an opinion on that one. You know, they didn't really have the technology to create airtight seals back then. So like, well, if we need something to be airtight, let's just weld it together and then cut it open. Fascinating. <laughs> what about the seats? I also like how he dealt with this because he realized that the real speed limit for a train like this, if it has basically no air resistance and no friction, is how much acceleration people can handle. He assumed that people wouldn't want to accelerate in more than 1G. <laughs> so his idea was the train would accelerate at 1G until it reaches its halfway point, and then it would decelerate at 1G for the rest of the trip. So you spend half the trip speeding up, then half the trip slowing down. But the real cool thing is that your seats would be facing forward when you're speeding up, and then they would flip around when you're slowing down, so you would still get pushed into the seats. As someone who not infrequently gets motion sick, that sounds awful. <laughs> <laughs> like, think about a car ride where for half the ride... You've got your foot on the gas pedal, and you're accelerating as fast as you can. And then for the second half of the ride, you've slammed on the brakes. I have been in those car rides. Unfortunately, those half the rides aren't one half and then the other half. It's like 50 seconds and 50 seconds at a time. It's awful. So it might be a little better if you just like... Like just once. <laughs> <laughs> just once. Yeah, actually, true. Goddard didn't live to see 1950, and it's disappointingly slow trains. But that year his idea for the vacuum tube transportation system was finally granted a patent. He's considered by many to be the father of modern rocketry. But to us, he'll always be the drunk uncle of high-speed trains. Robert Goddard, I mean, what couldn't he do? He was an absolute pioneer in rocketry, but also spent some time underground. This reminds me of Michael Jordan switching over from basketball to baseball. Goddard should have stuck with rocketry. Michael Jordan should have stuck with basketball. Yeah, he was kind of the reverse Michael Jordan because this actually came before most of his work in rocketry, I believe. Fascinating. All right, question. How would you improve this? So I was thinking that the principle behind this is basically getting rid of air resistance. A huge portion of the energy that vehicles use is getting past air resistance, is, you know, pushing against the air, especially when they go really fast. 
So what if we took that train and instead of pumped all the air out, we just raised it high up enough in the air to where the air is really thin? That's an idea. Hear me out. Are you, are you about to say that that's an airplane? <laughs> <laughs> no. Because that's what I was going for. I was thinking about how Jessica would improve on it. All right, all right. So the initial patent has this bead, this solder, right? Yeah. In order to prevent the seepage of the vacuum. Mm -hmm. What I would do is I would have essentially doors. So the tunnel, when all the doors are closed, is a vacuum. When the train arrives at the station, a wall comes down in front of it, a wall comes down behind it. So that maintains its vacuum. And then the doors open and it's at the station. Those doors open. It loses its vacuum seal there, right? People get off, they get on, close everything back up, suction all the air out, ergo vacuum. Now the other doors on the front and back raise and it's still a vacuum and then you go again. So kind of like an airlock. Yes. Thank you. That is the word I was looking for. Everything is space. <laughs> Drink! I didn't even give you that idea. You just brought up the topic of things that happen in space all on your own. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't space, it ain't crap. If it ain't space, I'm throwing it back in your face. <laughs> I like it. All right, it's that time again. Do they get points for trying? Brandon, let's start with the pneumatic transit. Well, right off the bat, the beach pneumatic transit gets one point for it being named after himself. That's a flex right there. Always. And a half a point for being something called the beach pneumatic transit that never went anywhere near a beach. <laughs> oh, the irony of it all. It took more research than I would like to admit before I realized that it wasn't going towards a beach. <laughs> Not even Coney Island. <laughs> In my opinion, it gets a point for being a proof of concept. Because not everything that is patented is functional or actually gets proved beyond a reasonable doubt as a proof of concept. So I like that. Also, if it's a war of the trains, I'm going to give it a half a point for not using soldering as its method to stop the train. Oof. Didn't use any solder, so it only gets half a point. All right. Back train. So I have to give it a point for representing WPI, my alma mater. Obviously. Let's go crimson and gray. And I'd give it a point for kind of being the precursor to maglev trains. Uh, we don't have true vacuum trains, but we do have maglev trains. And this was one of the first ideas to make trains float on magnets. That gives you one half point. But for me, that's actually a full point. Because that is amazing, especially given the time frame that it was in. But he never did a proof of concept. He never actually brought it to fruition. So I can't give him any points for being a proof of concept. So I think it's just the one. Okay, well, we actually do have to hand out style points for this episode. We do. Each train will get one point per stop it had. So the pneumatic transit system gets one. And Robert Goddard's VAC train was traveling between Boston and New York, so it had two stops. But it never actually came to fruition. The other one actually had a stop. 
Okay, so they're worth half as much because they weren't real stops. Well, it gets two half points, I guess, which means we're back where we started, aren't we? Okay, what I think we have so far is four points for the Beach Pneumatic Transit and three and a half for Roderick Goddard's back train. I know you were trying to get the win for your alma mater. This is like every homecoming game I've ever been to. (laughs) We're just one point away from victory. Oh, goodness. Okay, so Beach Pneumatic Transit for the win. This go around. But, you know, maybe you can invent something amazing and then you could get the win for your school. And that's all for today. Thanks for listening. And as always, if at first you don't succeed, tell us about it.